Our reading is from Matthew chapter 6, verses 9 to 13. This, then, is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Great. Thank you, Sheila. Why don't we pray? For those who have been here the last couple of weeks, you'll realize that we should probably start by pausing and just taking a moment to still ourselves before the Lord. And now we're going to rejoice. Lord, we thank you for who you are. We thank you for your um, absolute goodness. Lord, that you are light and you are love and you are life. And so we ask this morning that you would, um, yeah, enliven us by your word and by your spirit, that we may live for you in the week ahead and we may know you better. Amen. Amen. So, um, I'm not like Phil. I've got some slides. <laughs> you probably wish that I didn't have some slides. Graphic design is not my strong point. Those who have been around a while will know this. Um, but there we are. Um, <laughs> nevertheless, we're on to part three of our kind of mini-series on prayer inspired by this, this book, um, How to Pray by Pete Gregg. Some of you I know have read it. Um, others, maybe you'd like to read it. Um, Pete is the founder of the 24-7 prayer movement. Um, as anyone who has and being involved in a sort of a 24-7 prayer week, you know, and found themselves praying in a, in a cold building at three o'clock in the morning for an hour, that sort of thing. Um, he's written a whole stack of helpful books for people like you and me who engage, who enjoy, who wrestle with, who, you know, have questions about prayer and how it shapes, um, in, in fact, in, in many ways, how it is our relationship with God. This almost universal human tendency to reach out to something beyond ourselves either as a matter of course or you know perhaps in a particular moment of joy or elation or fear or crisis or even death so um you know this this book is the source of this kind of four-part p-r-a-y model that we're using you know it's not the only way it's just a way of trying to think through some of what's involved in prayer. And we'll revise that in a minute. Um, of course, the real inspiration for this series is Jesus, as we just heard in our reading. Um, in fact, the Bible as a whole. The Lord's Prayer, um, we read it there from Matthew, but in, in, in Luke, um, we, we see that it was Jesus' answer to his disciples when they asked him, how should we pray? How do we pray? And uh, somebody once said, it's a, a model simple enough for kids to remember and rich enough to sustain a lifetime of prayer. So we have Jesus as you know, son of God walking on the earth, showing us, demonstrating how to approach our father in heaven, whose name is to be hallowed. And um, this being the course of our rejoicing. We looked at that last week. And actually, the, um, you know, the Trinity is, 
is a tricky concept, right? One God, three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. You know, one of those things that's kind of hard to get our limited human minds around. But what it means is that we get to see Jesus, um, God, as one of us, modeling for us how to relate to himself, if that makes sense. So we see the Godhead, perfect unity, Jesus the Son, you know, praying to his Father, promising the Holy Spirit to inspire the prayers of his followers to do the same. So we're all invited into that relationship, um, the dance of the Trinity as, as it's been described. And so we don't have to wonder or agonize or guess at how to pray or try and work out, you know, what are the right words or the wrong words or anything like that. Jesus just shows us how. And beyond that, we see in the Bible all manner of inspiration and uh, examples for prayer. Someone was telling me just the other day that their um, prayer life these days mostly consists of shouting at God. Um, But, you know, we see in the Psalms, you know, this is an absolutely valid approach to prayer. In fact, sometimes it's the necessary, it's the only approach. So Jesus teaches us how to pray, and the Bible teaches us how to pray. And as you can imagine, after 2,000 years of Christian history, um, there are a wealth of resources to help us to grow and develop in our prayer lives. Um, you know, books, models, podcasts, prayer meetings, we have those too. Um, Thursday nights, come and join us, if you like, 8 o'clock for our prayer meetings on Zoom. And as I said, um, the model we're using is this kind of P-R-A-Y model, and we've created some physical triggers um, to help us remember them, okay? So um, let's see if we can remember them. So first we pause. So we've got the kind of the two lines of a pause symbol. So that's pause. Um, P for pause, then rejoice. R for rejoice. Then R, A for ask. And then Y for yield. Okay, so we've looked so far at the P for pause. So when we come to pray, we start by stopping. In the chaos, the noise of the digital world, we press the pause button to kind of prepare ourselves, to still ourselves, to listen to ourselves, to come to ourselves, if you like, so we know who we are and where we are as we come to pray. And then last week we did uh, R for Rejoice. We talked about the importance of remembering to whom we pray, who God is, this holy, powerful, hallowed creator and judge of the universe who comes to us, runs out to meet us as a loving, tender, perfect father, a good, good father, as we sometimes sing. That was the image that Jesus portrayed in the prodigal son. And Jesus said that, you know, even our earthly fathers, who are, you know, kind of evil in comparison to God, know how to do good things for our kids. I mean, you know, sometimes we get it right. (laughs) Um, Not always, but sometimes. And Jesus said, how much more will our perfect Father in heaven give good things, give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? So we saw it's God's identity, not our circumstances that are the basis, the true basis for rejoicing. You know, just, it's very sober, but we're all going to die one day. We'll all experience decay and death. That's the brutal truth. And it means that our rejoicing will be temporary if it's based on the idea of a comfortable life, you know, this side of the grave anyway. 
So it's a, it's a choice to rejoice, we said. We choose to put our hope and trust in God and rejoice in Him, not because of the circumstances, despite the circumstances, not because of them. And the early church and um, the early Christians exemplified this to the bewilderment of the culture they found themselves uh, in. People thought they were kind of off their heads. How is it that they rejoice in the midst of all this suffering? They wondered as they heard the hymns coming out of the jail cells and the cries of forgiveness from the mouths of those they stoned to death. And um, we've been, uh, some of us who are reading Luke and Acts uh, together through Lent, uh, I've been seeing some of those stories this week. And we're going to uh, look more at that. In fact, next term, we're going to have a, a series on the book of Acts, the beginning of the book of Acts, and uh, looking at really what the church is and what the church is for. So that's something we're going to try and get into next term. If you're doing Luke Acts this term, you're getting a sneak preview. Well done. So today we come to ask. A for ask. There's a huge amount we could cover. In fact, probably half of this book um, is, is probably on this topic. Um, but the truth is, is, is really, it's a simple message. And the, the takeaway from today would be for us to be, to, to kind of leave here more prepared to ask things of the Lord. I mean, that's, that's fundamentally it. That's the teaching from this. If you're listening on SoundCloud now, catching up, you can stop now. Just go and do it. Um, those of in the building, you've got to stick with this a little longer. It would be a bit rude otherwise, wouldn't it, to get up and go now. Um, those watching on Facebook, you can do what you like. I mean, you can always do what you like. You can start, stop. You can keep scrolling. You could take little freeze frames of me and make a little gif out of it like um, Gareth Colgan did a few weeks back. Um, <laughs> thanks, Gareth. Um, <laughs> A few weeks ago at our all-in service, we looked at the parable of the persistent widow and the grumpy judge. And then I, uh, I said then, it's, it's, it's great because um, it's this parable where Luke tells us the meaning of the parable right at the top. There it is, Luke 18, verse 1. Then Jesus told his disciples a parable to show them that they should always pray and not give up. There it is. We should pray and we should not give up. Sermon complete. Except... Except, if you're anything like me, that statement, that command, throws up more questions, perhaps, than it answers. Or it comes with a certain amount of baggage. I'm going to share um, another story with you from, from this book, from Pete Gregg, How to Pray. Um, we'll call it the parable of the mosquitoes. And um, Pete writes of this holiday that he took. It was a kind of holiday of a lifetime with he and his, his family got to go off with some friends sailing a catamaran around, uh, catamaran around the Adriatic. Um, everything was beautiful, relaxing. He describes this idyllic sort of blissful um, uh, day, sort of settling down to dinner on this catamaran on a balmy evening when a dark cloud of mosquitoes materialized above their heads. And uh, I'll just read this verbatim. I'm aware as I recount this story, he says, that you may not be entirely sympathetic to our plight. You may even be thinking, good, and praising God for those mosquitoes. <laughs> it's because, you know, he's just described how blissful and wonderful and beautiful this is. Um, but back on the boat, we most definitely were not. In fact, my friend James immediately began to pray against them. Lord, he said, lifting up one hand like Moses preparing to part the Red Sea and using the other to swat his own face. We ask you to just remove these wretched mozzies right now in the name of Jesus. 
Everyone else on the boat, two mums, five kids, heartily agreed with this prayer. Their eyes were closed, their heads were nodding, hands raised to rebuke Satan's little airborne militia. But my eyes were not closed. My head did not nod because it seemed such a silly prayer for three important reasons. And he goes and lists these reasons. Um, my first objection was theological. God must surely be a bit too busy with big world problems like the Middle East and wars and famines and stuff. You know, read pandemics, Ukraine, whatever else. To worry about optimizing the alfresco dining arrangements of posh people on yachts in the Adriatic. My second objection was environmental. Mosquitoes are presumably part of God's finely tuned ecological order. And Christians aren't immune from the laws of nature. We don't surrender our insect repellents at conversion. We don't rise from the baptismal waters and keep rising, liberated from the laws of gravity. My third objection was pastoral. Our kids were joining in with James's prayer. And so when, not if, it didn't work, tiny grains of doubt and disappointment would surely be sown within their impressionable minds and they would grow up to become Satanists. And so he says, as everyone else prayed, rebuking the spirit of midginess in the name of Jesus, I smiled stoically, swatting mosquitoes until they all said, Amen. But as they did so, the most annoying and unfortunate thing occurred. At that precise moment, a gentle breeze arose and swept the mosquitoes to some other doubtless less prayerful yacht. A chorus of praise erupted from our boat. Everyone was suddenly grinning, thanking God for hearing their prayers, for caring about his kids, and yes, for making the night's perfect alfresco dining arrangements just that little bit more perfect. So what was it about that prayer and the idea that God answered it that made Pete so annoyed? Why is the idea of, I guess, apparently trivial prayers being prayed and answered offensive? Maybe um, you find the idea of parking um, or, or praying for sort of traffic conditions problematic. You know, seeing um, answered prayer behind every parking space and demonic activity behind every red traffic light. Is that not somehow just a sort of a grown-up version of praying for my team to win? Um, actually, again, Matthew did this a couple of weeks ago for the first time. He, he asked God to help Luton win and Watford to lose. I have to say it brought a tear to my eye. Proud dad moment. Um, <laughs> and of course, after muttering a sincere amen, um, I gently rebuked and corrected him. Um, our prayers aren't just there to give us an advantage, um, particularly at the expense of other people, right? So when it comes to asking stuff from God... When we ask, um, we tend to divide this into kind of two broad categories. So we have um, intercession, which is sort of asking God for the sake of others, um, and petition, asking God for our own sakes. And, you know, intercession can feel a bit more noble, a little less selfish somehow. But we can't escape the world. Jesus did tell us to pray for others. The world, the big picture, you know, the your kingdom come part of the equation. He also taught us to pray for our own needs. Give us today our daily bread. It's in the plural. It's not give me, but I'm definitely meant to ask God for things that we need that will benefit me. And, you know, that, that parable, the persistent widow, her plea to the unjust judge was for personal vindication and justice. But why would God tell us to pray 
for these sorts of individual things, even trivial things, when there are much bigger fish to fry in the world? Let's just put that question on hold for a second. Here's another one. I've, um, I've worked for many years with vulnerable children, both in this country and abroad. And one thing that you uh, kind of learn to look for in children that have suffered abuse is that they stop um, expecting or stop asking for um, some of their most basic human needs to be met. So they don't cry when they are hungry or hurt. They don't look for comfort in distress. It's a sign that they've learned that there is nothing to be gained from making a fuss. It's not going to get them any help. Now, um, this is a model over here. Matthew's featuring heavily. I think I've told you before about the arrangement that if my children, somebody suggested that if, if your children get referenced in your sermon, they get like paid for it. This is going to be quite expensive. And um, this is a model that um, Matthew and I started making um, last summer. He was really into robot wars at the time, if any of you have ever seen that program. I found these little ro- wooden robot kits. Um, for making battle robots um, with electric motors, remote controls. And uh, we made some progress and then kind of got stopped. I think maybe the schools went back or something like that. And for a while, he kept on asking me, uh, when are we going to finish the robot? Um, and I kept saying, yeah, you know, not now, maybe at the weekend. We'll do it sometime. But as you can see, we, we never did. Um, it's still very much in pieces. And I guess he just, he just gradually stopped asking me. Um, You know, he just sort of realized it's, it's, it's not going to happen. That's, that's rational, isn't it? That's logical behavior. And yes, it's tragic. It's not my best moment as a dad. And yes, I've now made myself accountable to the entire church. And I'll have to try and finish this over the Easter holiday, won't I? Um, I'm going to have to try and do it. But I share this because the truth is persisting in prayer and not giving up is really hard. In truth, it's counterintuitive. I see... I say that as somebody who's seen quite a few prayers answered, including my own, um, my own knee being healed, while all the time watching a very close family member suffering unbearably for over 20 years now, so far. You know, in fact, it was at a prayer meeting for her that my knee was healed. I mean, what's that all about? And I think Jesus told that parable because he knew it was hard just like a lot of the Christian walk. It's not easy. It takes perseverance and faith in the face of great disappointment. And we could do a whole series on the subject and uh, struggles of unanswered prayer. In fact, Pete Gregg himself, um, I think he wrote another book um, and did another course, the the prayer course, if you've ever done that or come come across that, is based on this book. And then he's done another course um, on unanswered prayer and how we deal with that. And that is haunted the lives of Christians going right back to the start, right back um, to another garden, in fact, when Jesus said, take this cup from me, Lord. Right back uh, before that to the psalmist crying out, how long, O Lord, how long uh, are the the evil or the unjust people going to win? So how do we ask when kind of it feels like the evidence shows that that we're not going to get what we what we want. Now, the first suggestion, these answers aren't going to be easy. I just want to sort of say that. Um, If you're feeling skeptical, these answers may not satisfy you. Um, I get that some of us here, maybe all of us here, but some of us in particular may have been really kind of badly burned 
by experiences of unanswered prayer. Please don't feel that I'm being um, kind of careless of that. The first suggestion is to embrace the mystery. Jesus himself um, referred to stories of what seemed like kind of great random suffering events without explaining them or, or hinting that they might even have an explanation. In some cases, you can talk about things that we want that aren't God's best for us. That's definitely true. We see that with small children. Um, this week, Joshua was apoplectic about not getting something that he really wanted, that we as his parents knew wouldn't be the best for him. So sometimes we can kind of rationalize stuff. But let's not pretend that that applies to some of the things that we've asked for over the years. There are clearly things that seem to have no upside to us not having. And this is where we have no choice other than to say, okay, God, I don't get it. End of. I knew someone who was part of an international kind of prayer healing ministry. He'd seen God do incredible things, um, great acts of healing, but he also spoke really honestly of, of unanswered prayer and the heartbreak of people who hadn't been healed. And he talked about this kind of box that he had in his in his head, in his mind, where he, he kind of decided to put all of these things that he just couldn't explain, the things he didn't have an explanation for. And he said one day that box would be, would be opened and he trusted that God would provide answers. But for now, it's just his, I don't get it box. And that's kind of um, the second suggestion. Um, again, this may not feel like a huge comfort to those who are struggling right now. Again, please don't feel I'm trying to trivialize anything or emotionally manipulate in any way. But the second suggestion is, is that we have to in some way hold on to an eternal mindset on this. In any given moment, we are not experiencing the full picture. We are in the midst of a story, uh, the middle of a story, a very big, a very grand story. And that story has clearly not yet been brought to fulfillment maybe it will in our lifetimes but maybe it won't and that means as you know as i said earlier we will die disappointed in some ways you know just as we will all die with incomplete items on our to-do lists probably most likely unanswered emails in our inbox you know unless jesus returns we will die with prayers unanswered and carrying unresolved wounds and sorrows but our faith is in a fulfillment that will come with the promised resurrection you know the down payment on which we will celebrate in a two weeks time when we you know, mark resurrection sunday easter day when i uh, hope you can join us to remember sickness death sin and suffering will not get the final word i've shared a, an image before um, that i find helpful from revelation uh, chapter 8 it's apocalyptic language which means it's talking about the, the kind of the unseen spiritual world behind the scenes okay and um these verses say this is revelation 8 3 4 and 5 another angel who had a golden censer came and stood at the altar he was given much incense to offer with the prayers of all god's people on the golden altar in front of the throne the smoke of the incense together with the prayers of God's people went up before God from the angel's hand. And then the angel took the censer, filled it with fire from the altar and hurled it down on the earth. And there came peals of thunder, ramblings, flashes of lightning, 
and an earthquake. There's a lot of imagery in there um, that we could sort of dig into and try and get into. I'm not going to try and do that now, but just bear in mind, this passage comes um, straight after a vision of God's people gathered from every tribe, every tongue, every nation, crying out to God. It says, having endured great suffering. Remember this, um, this was a letter that was written initially to the early church, which was being decimated by Nero. Um, The Christians were being rounded up and literally fed to the lions. Probably asking these same, same questions. Does God really care? Does asking make any difference? And someone once explained um, this kind of heavenly scene to me in this way. The prayers of the saints, that's you and me, are all gathered. None of them are, are wasted or ignored or thrown away or sifted. None of them go to the junk folder or missing in the post. Each one is gathered by the angel. And then at the right time, God answers with power and every act of injustice and wrong and suffering and pain will be addressed so in 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 that sense in one sense there is no unanswered prayer it's all gathered waiting for that fulfillment and yes i know that may not feel like that much of a comfort today but embracing the mystery holding on to the bigger picture um but to come full circle the parable of the mosquitoes sorry Mary. um against our struggles what explanation can we give to god answering such you know comparative trivial prayers um two things then and, we'll, and then we'll end with our uh, with some homework um the first primary reason god wants us to ask is not that he can't act in the world without us, that he needs our permission. Um, Yes, it does seem that God has linked his activity in some way that I don't fully understand to the prayers of his people. He's chosen to do that. But the truth is, the asking is for our sake, not his. His priority is relationship, which is why he tells us to pray. Relationship, as he said, is at the heart of God. He desires relationship with us above all else. That's the image in the garden in Genesis 2. It's the image, again, in the garden city in Revelation 21. God with us in relationship. Picture one of those old um, kind of telephone exchanges. Um, And you really ever see them now in old movies or something like that, where people would place a call and they'd go through to the kind of exchange and then they were asked who they wanted to reach. And the operator of the exchange would then kind of switch the plugs and connect them. I guess that's a, that, that works as an image, sort of, for intercession, I guess. Um, us kind of c- connecting other people with God in prayer. But the reality is that when God calls through to the exchange, it's us that he wants to speak to. It's us he wants to engage with. We're not here to just link him to bad situations in the world. He wants to talk to us. He desires relationship with us. And that's what the asking does. Secondly, um, asking leads to thankfulness. Sometimes we get what we ask for. Um, About the mosquitoes, Pete Gregg says this. I'll just read a bit more of this. To this day, he says, I don't know whether that was an actual proper answer to prayer or just a well-timed meteorological fluke masquerading as one. But this I do know, 
And I know it for sure. When you pray about the small things in life, you get to live with greater gratitude. If you only ever pray about big, ugly, gnarly problems that seem onerous and serious enough to warrant divine intervention, you will only very occasionally experience miracles. But when you learn to pray about trivia, ridiculous incidentals like lead us not into temptation but deliver us from evil midges, and even inevitabilities like give us to this day our daily bread in a land that's full of the stuff, you start to notice how many minor miracles are scattered abroad in the course of an average day. As Archbishop William Temple famously said, when I pray, coincidences happen. When I stop, the coincidences stop happening. Is it by asking more for lesser things that we rediscover? It is by asking more for lesser things that we rediscover how to live with the wide-eyed wonder of children. By filling our days with tiny prayers, we relinquish our sense of entitlement and receive each detail as a blessing, each coincidence as a minor miracle, training our neural pathways to rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. That's um, 1 Thessalonians 5, I think. But let me leave you with a couple of three practical suggestions about persisting in asking. So um, first, start where you are not where you think you should be. John Ortberg points out that we will all struggle to persist in prayer when we start with the things that we don't honestly care about. When you come to pray, just try taking five minutes. Do your pause, do your rejoice, and then spend five minutes talking to God about whatever is on your mind right now. It's clear from what we've seen that he cares if you get distracted, if you find your mind wandering, you know, that's okay. He says, just pick up from where your mind has taken you to. It's, it's all good to God. Talk to him about what's real, not what you think you ought to. So that's one tip. Uh, secondly, turn it to prayer. There is um, so much that bothers us about the world right now, isn't there? Much that we're fearful um, of, concerned about, heartbroken by, uh, we talked previously about the, you know, the tendency to doom scroll with the news online or its predecessor listening to the news on the hour every hour. Instead of wallowing in the horror, let it take you to prayer. Don't just consume the news. Pray the news. Ask. Third, partner with others. Um, some of the best motivation for me to pray in recent years has been um, having friends in WhatsApp groups who have just agreed um, that we'll share our prayer requests with each other once a week. Um, one group's Monday mornings. We just start the week by sending um, just sort of a prayer for the week for, to, to one another. So we pray for each other. Is there anyone that you could do that with? Um, by WhatsApp or by email or by phone or even by seeing each other face to face? You know, I know that's a very pre-pandemic idea. Pray with someone weekly as um, somebody pointed out the Lord's Prayer is written in plural. Our Father, give us, forgive us, deliver us. So that's your um, homework for the week. Why don't you just look at that and maybe one of those three, pick one of those three to, to give a go this week. Either just five minutes of prayer, starting where you are, praying the news, or um, 
connecting with someone else. Two or three people is a, a good way of doing it, just to, to say that we'll pray together weekly.